Welcome to Pros and Cons, a show about a variety of topics. I'm Jack. And I'm Kev. Let's talk about the Breakfast Club. Damn. Talking about a club, just about food. Has to be my favorite topic right there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the movie, but that's making me hungry right now just thinking about it. I got excited for food again, but let's get to it. Yeah, so it's the 35th anniversary of the movie this year. Came out in 1985 in February specifically, but, you know, the whole year is the anniversary. And we thought it'd be like a fitting pick also because of the whole like quarantine almost aspect to it. These times do feel like detention, (laughs) but not just because we're being bad. It's to save our lives, but... So we've done one movie episode before for The Matrix. It's been a while though, but we're going to follow like a similar structure of like different categories and everything and then just go through them. All right. So first up, we got our background with it in terms of like one, when we first remember watching it, two, how many times roughly we've seen it, and then three, the last time we saw it before, like we just watched it last night for this episode but before that it's a little three-part hitter right there (laughs) when was my first time watching it right around the time we moved over here to california a couple years ago yeah you could say like a year and a half happened to give in and finally watch it it's one of those that like has been on my uh queue film list it was something in the air and i just gave in before this the last time i watched it was the first time so pretty easy answers for me Yeah, I don't know even when the very first time I watched it was because to me, it's just always been part of my life. It was part of these movies that I later realized were all John Hughes movies of, you know, Ferris Bueller and Sixteen Candles and etc. I was really drawn to those movies at a young age and still to this day really like them. And I've watched it, I don't even know how many times, but a lot. And... Before this time, re-watching it for the episode, I would say probably two to three years ago or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of the reason I watched it is because you're like a big fan. and It's not that it just came up in conversations with you, but I would hear it all the time. And like, I feel like film buffs and stuff like to talk about it. And yeah, like in my head, it just had hype. Like just the name alone is like hearing it i always thought like oh that shit sounds kind of dope like yo the breakfast club (laughs) it's kind of strong like i could see like anyone in high school or middle school like using that for their group and it being kind of dope i never even quite knew what it was but i like vividly remember hearing the name like throughout middle school and stuff like that yeah i think the name is definitely a pro for sure both before and after you watch it for people who don't know it's basically about five kids in high school teenagers who have to spend a Saturday in detention and that's pretty much the whole movie and for anybody who hasn't seen it we're definitely gonna get into spoiler territory you ever had Saturday detention no I'd never even heard of that honestly (laughs) did our school have Saturday detention I don't think so (laughs) like I only ever remember after school detention existing And there's like in-school detention. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other... You gotta be a badass kid to be in there. <laughs> but yeah, it must have been some 80s shit. Or before the 90s or something. I yeah. don't know. Or it's just something he made up for the movie. <laughs> I mean, the idea is there. Like, I feel like yeah. it is a thing 
It doesn't sound crazy. Yeah, I'm sure it definitely exists in some places. Right. Or maybe it inspired schools to do it afterwards. <laughs> I mean, hopefully not. I would hate this guy <laughs> then. But, I mean, I never had Saturday detention. Off the bat, just in terms of the story concept, like that simple idea, would you pro or con it? Easy pro. It's something we can all relate to. I mean, we've all been to school, whether we dropped out or not. <laughs> if you're a dropout, probably hit detention a few times. <laughs> so you'd probably even relate a little more. But it's one of those that the idea is there. The shit could have gone any direction and it probably still would have been good. It's kind of like the concept alone. It's like golden. I wouldn't even be mad if someone made like a different breakfast club now. Which we'll get into later because that's like one of our categories. I didn't mean to spoil our categories. <laughs> no, but. no. But yeah, I mean, I think it's worth mentioning now because it is like a very timeless idea. Yeah, and you exactly. could make it at any time in terms of like, again, this broader concept of just a group of high schoolers mm-hmm. spending a day in detention. And movies sometimes have such complicated storylines mm-hmm. that it can be hard to explain them in like a sentence or a paragraph. But this, it's so simple that you can get it right away, and it's also appealing. And I feel like it also has both built-in conflict and structure because, for one, like the day of detention, right, and it being on a Saturday, you start off with the parents dropping off the kids at the school, and that establishes something very quickly right away with like their relationships. Then you have the structure of the principal coming in and setting up the whole day and laying out what it'll be. You know, there's a certain amount of time in the day. The movie only takes place that day. And then you have like instant conflict between the kids not knowing each other and then them with the principal as well. So there's all these things. And then even in the detention aspect itself, it's like you don't know why they're in there. So mm-hmm. during the movie, you're going to find out why these different kids are in detention. Mm-hmm. And even the detention aspect also adds like an edge to it in terms of obviously they did something bad, quote unquote. And it just puts it in like a little more of a interesting or edgy context. All good points and completely agree on all of them. So yeah, it's like the easiest pro here. And then also from like a filmmaking perspective, I think it's really smart too, in the sense that you only have to shoot in one location. And it was like one of the first movies he did. And it was actually going to be the first, but he ended up doing 16 Candles first because of like studio stuff. But you get to do it on a smaller budget also. And all this stuff where basically it just makes it a lot easier to do as a film. Also in general for like, things that take place in one room or one space would you pro or con that overall that is also a pro for me one of the easy comparisons or other movies that come to my head when thinking of this is like the hateful eight even though it has a whole part at the beginning of them getting to the cabin that they then end up in most of the movie then takes place in this one cabin and almost in the same way they're like quarantined or in lockdown because of a snowstorm and there's conflict in there and blah 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 but yeah it's an easy pro i like that movie and this is in a similar way well done and like a great use of the space yeah it makes for a heavy dialogue movie everything you write has to be a powerful or not boring very funny punchy that's why there is conflict and 
you know, just like humans being stuck in a space, whatever. But yeah, I pro it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a tricky technique or format choice to do, but it can work out well. Like rear window is another one, but I feel like it can go wrong too, for sure. When it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's bad. So you're taking a chance, but in this case, it worked. And going off that too, how did you feel about like the length and how it flowed over time? Roughly about an hour and a half, which I think is perfect. All movies should be an hour and a half. I'll give you an hour 45. <laughs> Only three directors get to go over two hours. <laughs> Spielberg. I'm going to bump that list up to four. <laughs> okay. Spielberg, Tarantino, James Cameron, and obviously, <laughs> I mean, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> That's it. This is a great example of a movie being the perfect length. I know there's like a director's cut version that was never released, but it was longer. But I feel like this is so great also because it just is like nonstop punch after punch. You know what I mean? And I feel like it flows so well from one scene to the other. Even now, watching it for, I don't even know how many times this is, but I never get bored during it and never thinking like, oh, how much time is left or all of that. It just transitions so seamlessly. And I think that's especially impressive because of that it's just in one space, you know? Yeah, I think it was really well done in that aspect. Like you said, just from the beginning, like just parental conflict, boom, get to it, introduce the characters, boom, setting the rules, boom. Yeah, it's almost like a game. Yeah, everything is like you're learning something or characters opening up of like this whole thing and then there's conflict. Like there's always something and it's so well done in that way that, yeah, it's like the perfect structure. I can't hate on it. Another easy pro. Yeah. Along with that comes good little acting you know Mm -hmm. of course along with the casting how do you feel about it in this similarly to the story concept i feel like the character ideas have a very simple also very smart concept in that basically the movie not even hiding it at all sets them out to be these stereotypes of different high school figures like the jock the brain pretty girl You know, it's very defined characters and Mm. all different from each other. And I think the casting to fit all those people is super on point. And I don't think I would swap out any of them for the movie. I guess I have one minor complaint. It's not a big deal because the character slash actor grew on me. And is I believe, Emilio Estevez, who plays Mm -hmm. like the jock. Yeah. He plays it well and he has like... The general looks of it, you know, like pretty boy, somewhat athletic, like built up, muscular. Yeah. But to me, the problem was like sizing him up with the criminal bully and him constantly throughout the film kind of standing up to him. Yeah. Bender, the bully criminal was like, I don't want to say towering over him, but was like obviously bigger. But he's more like tall and lanky, whereas. Yeah. Emilio Estevez is, like, much more built and muscular. How they show it. But you can tell, like, the bully also just, like, looks older. Mm -hmm. This could be a casting thing. Right. Like, you could tell that he has, like, facial hair that's just, like, really clean-shaven to make him look So, would you say your complaint is more with 
the casting of Milo Estevez or Judd Nelson, who plays Bender? No, because I kind of like his whole look and all that. It could also be like a movie thing where like that bad kid is always like older because he's failed and obviously how he's dressed and all that it's like the bad kid leather like the boots and shit like that flannel yeah the flannel ripped up with the gloves like i feel like that just worked and he has like the face for it i don't know it's weird mm-hmm. like punchable and shit <laughs> uh it, it's more like i don't know like a stature thing just like visually but again i did say it's like a minor like so complaint. what would you have changed or wanted to see differently potentially for it to like have worked even better possibly just making the jog like taller and like if you're like five six you can know how to fight but you might not intimidate me as much just because i'll be like bigger than you but but maybe that's part of the point though too in that because he's this jock stereotype he's supposed to try to act tough and like he can beat anyone up but not all jocks are super big but yeah you can argue it either way yeah other than that, I'd say it's pretty well done. Like, I like the nerd. Anthony Michael Hall. The teacher slash principal. I'm not even mm-hmm. sure what he is. Works pretty well. Even the janitor, I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. good job on that. It works. And, yeah, I'd still pro it. Have you seen Molly Ringwald in, like, any of the other AD stuff? No, I don't think I have, no. So, no 16 Candles, no Pretty in Pink. Uh, no. So, what did you think of her? Because, like, for me... I'm pretty sure I was already aware of the type of character she was because she kind of plays a similar character in John Hughes' movies in general. She plays as like the pretty popular girl, right? I mean, she's not always popular, but just more so her personality and mm-hmm. just kind of mannerisms and everything. But yeah, I think she worked. You could tell that she's like comfortable in that. Like she didn't have to try hard to act that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, where... The bully that could be acting, the jog that could be acting, like everything else could be like an actual act for her felt very natural, which is, I guess, a good thing. And what about Ali Sheedy? Have you seen her in anything? She was also in like St. Elmo's Fire and some other stuff. No, I don't really know any of the other actors that well. Yeah. Outside of the movie. What did you think of her for casting for that kind of dark, quiet girl? I actually think she killed it on her loner got weird personality disorder i don't even know what she has she's just different she does transform later on pretty much at the end of the movie which i wasn't the biggest fan of like not that it was a bad move like i think it works for the movie but i actually liked her better when she was just her weird self i do think it could have done without it i feel like it does play into though the idea of like going against stereotype in terms of how someone can look on the surface and whatnot Mm -hmm. which is part of the idea of the movie but i mean it also plays into the idea of how it ends with this romantic angle for basically two different couples of four of the five characters which i also don't mind but i think could have done without too yeah i mean speaking of that not that there can't be love and like the whole relationship thing, how the movie ends. Pretty much the jock ends up with the weird girl since she's transformed and now he sees her in a new light. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> it's more like, yeah, I'm gonna walk outside the school, have like this beautiful, like 
love i'm gonna kiss you and like walk <laughs> away while your fucking parents are like in the car <laughs> waiting for you behind you yeah both couples yeah and the same thing the other one the last one was probably worse because he like goes to like kiss down her neck and stuff <laughs> yeah super like sexual <laughs> on top of the car the other ones like the cars are driving up so like you kiss the girl and your parents could or maybe they didn't see you or you don't care because they're like not there but this one is like your dad's waiting on you i'm gonna lean you against the car like kiss your neck and like i walked here but you gotta ride <laughs> i don't know it was one of those like you no know, no one would ever do this and if you do it's like borderline disrespectful to your parents like I mean, it is believable for Bender because he just doesn't care. But would the dad like not yell at him or something or yeah, honk the it's horn? Strange, or... yeah, like yeah, like that would have been a touch that I'd be like, okay, all right, so that that makes it a little better. But now it's just like, yeah, let's freeze time right here. <laughs> let's have a moment. Yeah, no, it's a good point. They do kind of hint at the romances as it goes on, but did it need to happen? I don't know. And did it need to be two couples? Especially you leave the nerd in the dirt. I mean, I guess that's like reality, quote unquote, or at least playing to the stereotypes of it. But if they were reversing the stereotypes, should the nerd have gotten one of the girls, you know? Facts. Like, should he have been the only one who had gotten a girl? The nerd and the weird girl? That would have been strong. Because then if you put the nerd with the pretty popular girl, is it believable? Yeah, Yeah. it's like, no, now you're trying. But you bring a good point. I I would like to see another version of that. But to add on to the character aspect and jump into another category at the same time, what did you think of like wardrobe, styling, costume stuff? I mean, to me, it both feels 80s, but it also feels timeless in a way too. And like very classic staple pieces. So even though it's not necessarily things that kids would wear today, Unless you're like a little more unique, I guess. It still feels like, yeah, classic pieces and things that have aged well. And not too over the top either. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's pretty good costume work. The style is pretty dope. I feel like it feels like it's correct with the time, but also like drippy at the same time. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bender's style before i think he definitely has the best for sure yeah i mean he killed it that one is like if you see someone just like that now it's like uh <laughs> either live in brooklyn or you're trying hard or possibly halloween or something but still wouldn't be mad at it like it works for him yeah and like the jock classic letterman jacket can never go wrong i think claire's high-waisted skirt works well like again it's not something you would really see girls wearing now i don't think but i feel like it does feel like a cool and classic setup if anything i'd say like players is the one that aged the worst because like if you see someone with that now it's like doesn't fit as much yeah like i feel all the other outfits you can make work today like even brian his swag is very current i feel like you can rock it wearing like nike daybreaks and he has nikes on yeah exactly (laughs) and those are shoes that nike has been pushing out like over the last year or two and they're originally from the 80s and he's just wearing like a sweater and a jacket and stuff like it all works but overall i'd give it a solid pro just on costume and just design overall so i guess you know like the outfits and wardrobe costumes it's all good for visuals and just like 
seeing how good or memorable something could be. Let's talk about that cinematography, though. Again, it's something where in the one space format of the movie, it could be incredibly dull and boring. But with this movie, I feel like not only did they pull it off, they also left so much on the table in the sense that their shots you either only see briefly and some that we probably never see at all where there's all these spaces in the library, which is something they built, by the way. Like, it's a custom set library that they made. Oh, shit. So they did control the visuals of it, but they definitely planned it well. I mean, it's a crazy library. It's definitely a big size and all that, and it's multi-story and everything, but it feels natural at the same time. I think there's a nice mix of close-ups and wide shots and all that where they don't overuse certain angles and stuff and they move around within the space a decent amount it's definitely a pro and it doesn't feel like too stylized either like it's normal quote-unquote cinematography in a way but it still looks good like it's not trying to be too fancy or anything but it still works To jump on to what you were saying, I do agree. Like, it does feel super normal, which I think is a good thing. At least when talking about a film like this, where there's like a timeless feel to it. If it was too stylized or something, I feel like it would change. Just with like color grading Mm -hmm. or something, I don't know. Obviously, there's like nothing to get blown away by in this. Since you are like limiting your shots to like this space or this school, this library. That there's nothing like super outstanding, but... It's a film that doesn't need that. It'd almost be weird for this to have, like, incredible cinematography. Right. I mean, with that said, yeah, I have no complaints about it. I I pro it, yeah. I think also the shot that stands out the most to me is towards the end when they're sitting, like, towards the back of the library. And it's, like, a wide shot of the five of them kind of spread out sitting there. I mean, that's what comes to mind in terms of a singular shot. For me, is when they are in that back part of the library or whatever, and it becomes like a tighter. I wouldn't say it's like a super close shot, but just like waist up, they're sitting, and it's just like pans on them as they talk, and it just like takes you into what they're saying. And in like a circular yeah, shot. Like a yeah, circular motion that's kind of dramatic because it's pretty much like going around what others are seeing around right. the room, which is the other characters and whatnot, and it works pretty well. And the other one is where Anthony Michael Hall's character is like, uh, I guess, smoking weed. Mm-hmm. He puts the shades on. Oh, yeah. So fire shot. <laughs> yeah. Like he looks dope as fuck. I feel like that's one of the shots I've seen before I even watched the film because mm-hmm. it's like, it's funny. It's like memeable. Could be oh, yeah. Jib. I definitely have seen it in Jess. But that's like one of the iconic shots of the film. Yeah, which also let's use that to lead into like some of the best quotes or some of the worst too. But (laughs) in that shot when he basically he's imitating a Richard Pryor stand up Mm -hmm. thing, but he's like, these chicks can't hold they smoke, man. (laughs) (laughs) Just his delivery on it is so funny. I mean, again, it's based off Richard Pryor, but still. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty funny because it comes from the person that it's coming from right exactly yeah i mean i'd pro that right there i also love when brian like they're going through their stuff and emilio estevez's character is like why do you have a fake id 
and he's like, you know, to vote. <laughs> and he says it so casually. This dude cares about what really matters, yeah. <laughs> Which also, getting into the details, I mean, he's not actually, like, his vote isn't counting, right? Like, he's just going there and able to, like, actually, I don't know, how, how does that work if you have a fake ID, like... If it's not registered to someone, like he can register to vote and they'll put in the fake info. Once Does, it actually gets processed. Right, it's exactly. It's not really a vote. It'll be like vetoed or whatever. But it's like the act for him of getting to do it. Regardless, it's still like a hilarious line. Hey, if, if we had more people like him, this could be a better place. <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, that's so funny. Just because you're almost expecting for drinks, man, or something. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. And then to vote. It, like, gets you out of nowhere. Like, right. It's good, good old comedy right there. Like, Does anything else stand out to you in terms of good or bad quotes? Emilio Estevez is full of bad quotes. <laughs> One of the first conflicts they have and they're, like, about to fight. And I believe it's something like, uh, hey, you mess with me or something like that. There's going to be two hits. <laughs> me hitting your jaw and you hitting the ground. Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like... It's funny because... <laughs> Like, this time when we were rewatching it, I was trying to remember if that's originally from the movie or if it's, like, a parody <laughs> stone thing from something else. <laughs> I mean, it could be, like, one of those things that maybe people at the time used to say it because it was right. from a movie or a song or something. But, yeah, that one, like, stands out for me. To continue with the verbal and sound of the movie and just, you know, like, score, music, and soundtrack soundtrack sound design there's some interesting things that happen throughout one of the things that stands out for me is like uh i think it happened two or three times throughout the movie where bender i think it happened with bender mostly one that i can think of is when the teacher slash principal comes in and they go into the whole thing about oh, i'm gonna have you eight more days of yeah yeah blah blah you want another yeah yeah <laughs> say one more thing and you'll have another one i'll have you rest of your natural life yeah and he like storms out and as the door closes he goes like fuck you as he says that there's like this crazy loud like thunder like yeah tremble echoing sound that happens which is supposed to be of like the door slamming shut yeah, it's supposed to be, like, timed as the door shuts. Right. Yeah, and I find that pretty interesting because it feels like it's aged, like it's an old technique. But if it's someone at the time that was really into film or just the process of it, I could hear them saying something like, oh, that's dope right there. Like, whoever designed that is... I mean, I feel like it's held up really well, too. If I saw that even today, I feel like I'd be like, damn, that's great sound mixing there or sound design. But it's one of those where, like, maybe it's just, like, I haven't seen it or it's not yeah used no often, no for sure i don't remember seeing it quite like that and i don't know i can't think of any examples we're like now i feel like there's different versions of that that could possibly even be inspired by this but yeah i mean i feel like in general there's actually a lot less songs or musical score or anything than i remember i mean of course there's the classic don't you forget about me which was written for the film and is definitely the thing most associated with it and just in general a super classic 80s song mm -hmm. but other than that there's not a whole lot of music there not really there's like that other super rock song they play that i don't really know the name but yeah it's like the dance scene and they all like go crazy it's chaotic mm -hmm. and crazy yeah. head movements and 
choreographed little steps that kind of reminds me of like today with TikTok. Other than that, yeah, I don't think there's much. And do you remember hearing or knowing about the Don't You Forget About Me song before watching the movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad is a big fan of uh, 80s music. Oh, really? He grew up listening to it. I wouldn't say he knows like everything, but I feel like those iconic songs from that era, right. he yeah. for sure like knows. And I wouldn't say I grew up listening to them, but they come was up around. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And did you know it's from this movie or in this movie? Not until like I saw it. So what did you think of its place in the movie with like already knowing it? Worked pretty well, especially like now we're watching it, like looking back at this time, you know, like the 80s combining it with that it feels like they should go together i don't know if at that time it was a hit or like one of those classic songs well it became one because of the movie oh i didn't because it was like made for the movie and then released with the movie and also it plays at the beginning and at the end but going into one thing with when it plays at the end to wrap up that section to also tie into cinematography one more thing and then to tie into you can barely call this visual effects, but let's start off that category with this. The last shot where he raises his fist in the air and the movie ends on like a freeze frame. What's your thoughts on that? Because you don't see that nowadays. It's rough. <laughs> it's one of those things where like I'm not mad at it. Because again, like at the time, it was like, whoa. Someone's like, oh, damn, boy killed it right there. Wait, the credits are coming out of the sky? Dude, that's like... Well, it's not only that. They're hiding behind, like, the bleachers and stuff. I mean, that's, that's like, the worst aging in terms of, like, like, damn, those effects were crazy. Crossfade in or something like that. I don't know what you call that. I was like, damn, that's wrong. I mean, there's also that, like, beginning part right after the song. Well, it has the quote up from David Bowie, and then it goes into the school shot with a glass shattering yeah exactly like the quote is there and all of a sudden it just shatters into bits and pieces <laughs> with a very loud shattering sound mm-hmm. which i guess goes back into the sound mixing and editing and design but not the strongest on the film yeah it definitely is something where <laughs> it shows its age aging like uh, a nice glass of milk <laughs> uh, <laughs> not very well uh one of the things I could easily con. I mean, I do think the freeze frame of his fist in the air is iconic, even though I'm not sure any other time that's worked or will work. And it's definitely somewhat of a dated thing, but it works here. They made it work. But in terms of the credits going over the bleachers or hiding behind the bleachers, that's definitely a con. And I agree that glass is not the best. Yeah, like if you try editing any video and try to do that today on your computer, (laughs) like on Final Cut or Premiere, it would just say no. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Forget about it. But yeah. And also with that end shot, let's go into the trivia section real quick, where that part of him raising his fist in the air was improvised by Judd Nelson. He was just supposed to be walking like into the sunset type thing. But John Hughes asked him to like try out some random stuff. And he ended up doing that and everyone loved it and became iconic. Another little cool part is uh, the scene we were talking about earlier about them all sitting like in a circle, the back of the library. 
they're like sitting around and telling stories about themselves and whatnot. It's actually not scripted at all. It's all off the top of the dome. Which is crazy. Like we mentioned, it's one of the more strong parts of the film. And for it not to be scripted is pretty nice. Although also on that too, John Hughes wrote the whole screenplay in two days. Which he was known for writing like his movies super fast. But it always just boggles my mind. Like that's crazy. One of the craziest flexes I've heard. (laughs) A few cool things happen with cars in this. And one is that John Hughes actually plays brian's dad in the movie Mm -hmm. i mean no actual lines or anything but you see him briefly as he picks him up from school which is kind of cool and another cool thing is that the license plate on brian's mom's car since you know it's his mom that drops him off but reads emc2 which is obviously like e equals mc squared (laughs) and then andrew's dad's car his license plate reads Ohio ST, which is street or state. State. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking state the whole time, and then I said like, street. Even though this takes place in the suburbs of Chicago, but it's probably where he wants Emilio Estevez to go to school and get that scholarship. Last one to mention, there's a lunchtime scene, and originally Claire's character was just going to have pasta salad, but then Ali Sheedy suggested to John Hughes that Claire eat sushi for lunch, which was at the time considered a luxury food in America at this point, and not that well known, which they also show in the movie because they're just weirded out that she's eating it. But it's kind of interesting to watch now that sushi is so much more normal. However... If you pull up to school (laughs) with sushi? Yeah. No, it's still going to be weird. But people are going to know what it is, though. Yeah. I mean, still expect to be roasted. Let's move into if it was made today. So first off, could it be a remake and should it be a remake? I mean, we touched on this earlier, but you said you're in for that. I'd be in. And I'd be in for even different versions of it. So yeah, I'd be in for a complete remake of it generally like the same lines obviously like updated slang and vocabulary and references but also just like an inspired by where Mm -hmm. like it is the tension it is what it is but maybe completely different outcomes maybe it's not like one of each of the classic high school stereotypes and whatnot or maybe there's like new versions of that you know with like the popular the tiktokers or the social media and i don't know something along those lines point is yeah i'm ready for a new breakfast club it's funny because we didn't talk about this at a time you know so it can be fresh when we're discussing it and i had a similar thought not quite exactly the same but i also thought of two different versions one being today also loosely inspired by but the remake that i had in mind would also be a period piece for the 80s so you would remake it but Maybe, like, tweak a few dialogue things, but have, like, all 80s clothes and have it still take place in the 80s and be pretty much directly what it is. And then, yeah, a newer version. Not mad at that. I actually came up with a cast for each. Do you want to hear it? Of course. All right, so which do you want to hear first? Uh, The remake. So, like, the same classic one. Yeah. So, this one I thought of where it's, like, filling characters to match them, Uh too. So I got Caitlin Deaver from Booksmart playing Anthony Michael Hall, okay. Brian. 
and she was also like inspired by him when she was younger but i just think she would play that role well mm-hmm. then we got Elle fanning as molly ringwald's character claire okay then we got matt champion as emilio estevez's character matt champion from brockhampton that's a curveball okay <laughs> then we got alexa demi from euphoria playing ali sheedy's character and then finally for bender we got amine wow <laughs> and i'll give you the so the principal shane powers radio podcast host and then the janitor theo vaughn comedian wow okay <laughs> i'd see this movie <laughs> yeah solid i'd pro that casting why not janitor would be really funny and <laughs> clever and a smart ass and theo vaughn could do that shane powers military discipline <laughs> not that he's been to the military but he just has that tone to him Outside of all those, I think Amina is in really interesting. Like, that was way out of left field, as well <laughs> as Matt Champion. So that would be interesting to see. The other ones, I could see them fit, like, very easily. Mm-hmm. They were all good choices, though. So, yeah, I, I'd pro it. All right. And then the new version, that would be, like, a more of an adaptation. Not as strict on it, but could possibly have influences. So I'm not going to say these corresponding to any person, but... We have Biba Doobie, the musician, Taylor Russell, who was in Waves, Kevin Abstract, musician, Billy Lord, who was in Booksmart, she plays Gigi, and Omar Apollo, musician, as the five kids. And I really feel like they could either fit literally any of the characters, like I feel like they could all adapt to any of the roles, or they could just be new versions. And then for the principal... I have Meryl from Jesus and Meryl. Oh, shit. And then the janitor, I have Kevin Parker from Tame Impala, the musician. Wow. <laughs> both interesting takes on the janitor and the principal. <laughs> they could both work in their own way. Like Kevin Parker would say some crazy, like, physiological shit. Like, <laughs> and he could even be playing Tame Impala in his headphones. <laughs> yeah, like that would be some dope shit that could happen. Meryl, again, that should be fun. Everyone else is really interesting. It's a good group of people. Interesting take in that you think they can not play each other, but play like all the different any roles. of the characters. Yeah. This one's a little tougher to process. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it also includes a few musicians, but I feel like they also have that performative side to them and they're used to being in front of the camera and have charisma and I could see it working. Those are fair points. I mean, you didn't ask me to do this, but if I had to choose one, I'd probably go with the first one. Mm -hmm. Just because I guess it's more people that I'm like really into and I'd be interested in seeing. The other ones could work really well too, but I mean, Shane Powers, Theo Vaughn, (laughs) Matt Champion, (laughs) that should be interesting. Yeah, Uh, I'd I'd vote for that one. Mm -hmm. Didn't process or really think about creating like a full cast of people, but I guess the only thing I'd be kind of interested in seeing as if timothy chalamet played claire's character interesting that's like that you know pretty boy swag mm-hmm. shout out to soldier boy <laughs> i guess also in remaking this it would obviously be a lot more diverse mm-hmm. you didn't necessarily need to have that in this film because uh i guess how they do it is more of like a class thing mm-hmm. obviously like you know poor or lower income 
to obviously like Claire who comes in in a BMW and her dad is wearing like a Burberry scarf and whatnot. Diamond earrings. Yeah, the diamond earrings. Um, so they do it in that way, but obviously if you would remake it now, you'd have to throw in someone. That could be pretty pretty dope or interesting. Yeah, and that also might be impacted by if they changed the location too. Like this was in the suburbs of Chicago, but what if it was a New York City public school, you know? Yeah, that'd be pretty dope. I wonder also how much phones would play a part. Like, would they have access to their phones or would they have to give them once they came in or would they sneak one in too? And how would that all work? Yeah, they probably wouldn't have phones, but I don't know. One of them would find a way to like sneak one in. and It becomes like a thing like, yeah. oh, you got one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that even becomes part of the conflict. Like, oh... I don't have my phone for the whole day. Like, oh my God, I'm so bored in this library. Yeah, exactly. That would be one of the themes for sure. Forces them to interact. All right, so we've talked about it, discussed it, sound, wardrobe, theme, concept, cinematography. Is it a classic? I think it's definitely a classic for sure. And that's personal for me, but also in culture, I think, because it's one of the biggest and most well-known 80s movies it is one of the best teenager movies and has a lot of iconic aspects like the song or the end pose or any of that and it even birthed like the quote-unquote brat pack of actors in the 80s and all that too where I think it definitely had a big impact and has lived with a lot of people and I think the fact that it holds up so well today too says a lot in terms of it being a classic 35 years later you know it's still very relevant and even if some of these stereotypes are gone i feel like it's still very relatable and at the very least interesting so i would definitely pro it being a classic yeah i mean this coming from a person that didn't grow up with the movie to seen it not long ago but instantly after watching it i could easily see why this could be considered a classic and i do pro it in being a classic like you said i mean when you from a movie make a song become popular Mm -hmm. not everyone could do that something that just stands through time and can easily relate even 35 years later because in reality like the themes and the concepts of the movie you can still connect to today relatable for everybody no matter what social class you're in, no matter what color you are, no matter your race, what country you're from. Yeah, it's a classic. It has like all the little things you need to be a classic from memorable music. We talked about the swag, even some of the lines and quotes. Some aren't the best, but even those stand out. And it's even in the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. So it's literally a fact that it's a classic. That's what's up. So before we get to our last thoughts, where do you think this ranks among John Hughes movies for you? Number one. Damn. Ask me why. Why is that? I haven't seen any of the other ones. You've seen Ferris Bueller. Damn, you got me. All right. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably put Ferris Bueller. Not even by like a big margin, probably by like a point. Yeah, I'm similar I think they're very close, and both are very high up for me all time. I would say that Ferris Bueller is for sure like top five movies for me, and 
The Breakfast Club is probably like in the top 10. It could even possibly break the edge of the top five, but I don't think it'd go above Ferris Bueller. Fair. I mean, his work in general is great, and you should definitely check out 16 Candles next. I think you would like it. Like, it's not as good as either of those two, but it's definitely the third best, I think, of his. And it's part of this 80s almost trilogy of his. Yeah, I gotta give it a try. And then, yeah, just final thoughts. Anything else to add? There's not much I haven't said already about it. I really liked it, really enjoyed it. It for sure exceeded my expectations for it, even though it had the hype. I tend to be kind of negative to anything that was made before the year 1993, (laughs) (laughs) which was when I was born. But it's still very relevant. It's still a good movie to watch. I could still say that it'll be a good film even, who knows, 20, 30 years from now. It's a film that I can see showing to, like, I don't know, my future kids or something, just popping it on, which is probably the case with, like, many John Hughes movies, even though I haven't seen him. Just his style. It's, like, very fitting to, like, a certain age group, and he works really well, it seems, with, like, I don't know, teenagers or coming-of-age stories. He was one of the first directors and filmmakers to take teenagers seriously and also showcase them in a movie on a serious way and it's you know a movie with a lot of jokes and a lot of crazy antics but it also has a lot of serious stuff and heartfelt stuff and I think strikes a really good balance and really is maybe the best symbol of his work in that way in that I like Ferris Bueller more as a movie but The Breakfast Club is probably the best movie representative of him and that aspect Mm. of his style and i think it's something that still hasn't even been emulated since like there have been other good coming of age movies but he set the bar so high and i don't know if it's ever been reached in that way since major pro for the breakfast club if you haven't already go and watch it somewhere online yeah i think it's on hulu right now but yeah that wraps it up for this episode of pros and cons i'm jack you can find me at Jack Bloom Summer, Summer with an O on everything. And I'm Kev. You can find me at Same Old Kev on all platforms. And don't you forget about us in our episode next week. <laughs> Peace. Peace.